Welcome everyone to this week's edition of the Commercial Real Estate 101 Meetup Group. Uh, we're excited for a great 2022. I, I know a lot of people that I've, I've talked to are really excited about the prospects for the new year, and I'm sure a lot of you guys are as well. Just to give you guys a quick uh, backdrop on, on the meetup, uh, we started back in mid-2020, and we've been slowly growing ever since. Uh, every other week, we have meetups where we invite speakers who talk about different topics pertaining to commercial real estate. Uh, and today, we have a phenomenal guest, uh, someone that you know, I've followed for quite some time and I've read his book and, you know, I, I know he has a lot of insights to offer and that's Bo Beery. So we're excited to have you, man. Um, it really is great to, to be able to talk to you. A pleasure, brother. I'm glad I'm on here. You got a great crowd. I know awesome. a few names. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and hopefully we don't hit our limit. You know, I think I, right now I have the hundred limp person limit, but if, if worst case scenario, we do record these as well. So we will be pushing this out in, in a video format. So you guys will be able to record, uh, review this at, at a later date as well. So awesome. Well, just to start off, what we typically like to do is we like to learn about a little bit more about the person that's across the table from us. So if you don't mind, Bo, just kind of sharing a little bit about your, your backstory, I think that'd be helpful. Yeah, no problem, man. I, uh, I actually got my start in multifamily in 1998. I worked for Tremel Crow Residential, which was the, the largest uh, apartment developer in the country at the time. I didn't know they were, you know, hot stuff. I was just, you know, fresh out of college. I was doing on-site leasing and property management, fell in love with the business, uh, went back and did a master's degree in real estate. And uh, I then went and worked for a firm in Gainesville that did office, retail, industrial, multifamily. And I brokered and managed their portfolio, did that for about 10 years had the opportunity to pick up a Coldwell Banker and a Coldwell Banker commercial franchise. It had been in the, in the, uh, in the market for 104 years at the time, um, acquired it with a couple partners, had that for 10 years, just did multifamily brokerage. Um, that whole time I was in the top five in the world every year, top number one in Florida every year. Um, and then in 2021, I sold back my, my share back to my partners and just had my own little boutique firm. And um, I'm based in Gainesville. I cover the northern half of Florida, anything over 10 units. I do market rate and student housing. The bell curve of the ma majority of my deals is between 20 and 175 units. Sometimes I'll do a 10 unit deal. Sometimes I'll do a, a, a 500 unit portfolio. But most of my stuff is in that range. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I, I think recently you posted a breakdown of all the, the transactions that have occurred in Florida based on property uh, asset type, like mm -hmm. class A, class B, class C. And it was a yeah. pretty unique background. And he does that a lot too, where he, he shares unique information and insights on the Florida market, especially pertaining to multifamily. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you was why multifamily? Like, why did you get into multifamily to begin with? I mean, obviously with commercial real estate, it's so diverse. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious as to what that logic was for you. Love the question. Never been asked it. I think it's a. I think it's a. Um, and it's an important one. So I. I did. I used to do it all. Right. I mean, I. I've only done commercial real estate my whole life. I. I was doing office, retail, industrial. We would. We did land deals. We did a lot of multifamily stuff. Um, and so what happened was about 2000. Uh, I want to say it was 2010 ish. Um, I have a commercial real estate coach that I've had for for a long, long time. And I was doing an average of 82 deals a year in, in commercial real estate, right? I mean, some, deal, some days I did 100, some years I did 100, I think 105 was my best. My worst was in the 60s. And 
and it was just, it was killing me, right? It was just, it was seven days a week. I was going in on weekends. I had no life. I was, you know, working crazy, crazy hours. And I just wanted my life back. So my coach was like, you know what? We need to, we need to concentrate on, we need, we need to become niched. We need to become an expert, right? And, and you're great at multifamily, Bo. You're in a, in a market in which you're surrounded by great multifamily markets. Your background in real estate through your master's program, your connections, your investment analysis uh, mindset, like this, this is a good field, but let's, but let's do an audit of, of all your markets and let's see how many transactions are happening. Let's do an audit of the industry. Let's see, you know, is this just a fad? You know, in 2010, you know, people were just kind of starting to get a little hot towards it. So let's, let's see how many, how many units are being delivered over the next 10, 20 years. What's the demands and all those things. And so in order to have a life, I, I, I said, you know, hey, let's let's niche into one asset class. Let's do that forever and ever and ever. But let's make sure we choose the right one. So the audit we did was we looked at what was the demand for the number of units over the next 20 years. That's how much longer I was thinking I'd be doing this. Um, and how much how many units are we delivering? And the answer was we're way the hell behind in trying to catch up. Um, people had to have a place to live. Um, we loved the idea that if you own a 50 unit apartment complexes, you probably have 35 different industries paying you rent versus a shopping center that has 20 units with probably 18 different, um, you know, folks paying you rent. And, and any one of them could, you know, if one industry goes out, you could take out three tenants or four tenants, right? Like we saw that in COVID. Um, and, and just the, the ability to be able to change rents like every year versus office, retail, industrial, you're locked down for five to seven years. Um, and there was a few other quantitative metrics that'll be boring for you to reveal here that just said multifamily and industrial was the way to go. But I like the multifamily part of it um, just because I had some background already. So that's why, man, I believe in it, you know, well, well into the future. I mean, just... Just this stat alone, just just revealed to this to you because I did this in a video in the last few weeks in my YouTube channel that you know we have to deliver 325,000 <laughs> units per year in the country just to catch up with demand over the next 10 years. And the last time we delivered more than 300,000 units was 1989, okay? In fact, the most robust year we've had since then, like 2020, which was a phenomenal year. Now, take away COVID. When you have deliveries of new construction in 2020, keep in mind, those were dreamed up in 2018 and 2019. And 2018 and 2019 were the most robust number of transactions ever. Okay. So in 2020, we only delivered 289,000 units. So we just, we're not going to catch up. And, and, and what's happening is, is simultaneously, all of these assets that exist are getting old as hell, right? Like the inventory we have right now is old. Like there was a boom in the, in the 70s and 80s. That's why a lot of the transactions you see today were 70s and 80s transactions. There's not a whole lot of them that, that were built in the 90s and early 2000s, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I just, I think if you're remotely between 30 and 45 or 50 years old, and you're thinking about making this your, your asset class, your gold for 20 years, brother. And that's sister. awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great advice. And then again, like you said, the, there's different ranges of property types to invest in. And a lot of them are 
older. Therefore, they have the opportunity to, to be a, potentially add some value. And you, you're starting to see a lot yeah. more people, especially with the pro- proliferation of information uh, regarding multifamily in particular, like Bigger Pockets and you know Joe Fairless, the best ever, and obviously your 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 thought leadership platform. You're starting to see a lot more re- information readily available. So you're starting to see more people yeah. kind of converge into the market, and we'll kind of touch on that. A little bit later to see, you know, how how people who are looking to invest in multifamily can do that in a, in an effective manner. So, uh, yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, our audience is, you know, obviously a bit investor heavy, but also people who are in the commercial real estate business, whether they're agents or brokers or you know lawyers, etc. And one being one question I wanted to ask you was, uh, what are some of the hurdles you had to overcome your first few years in the business? Uh, you know, there's some people out there that are, you know, multifamily brokers and multifamily, you know. Uh, you know, agents, et cetera, and maybe providing some insights onto your experience would be helpful. Um, for me, I'm, as, as you guys have gathered, if you did any research on me, is I'm super data-driven. I, I, I cannot operate in a manner in which I just wait for calls to come in or, and, and I can't, I don't ever speak in generality as I speak in numbers. My whole, my whole life and the way I do things is, is very methodical and thought out and, and, and efficient. I tell you all this because when I started out, um, you know, the information that was available today was not available then, right? And so, um, so early on, the frustration was building a, a platform, a CRM, that had every single asset that I could ever sell. So when I, when I went all in in multifamily in 2010, prior to that, I just did deals here and there in addition to other asset classes. But in 2010, what I did was I said, okay, well, I'm going to export every single asset over 10 units that exist in all my markets, which took a lot of time. It was frustrating, right? Like I was making no, no money in, in, in that realm. I just still had all of my general commercial real estate brokerage deals that were keeping me afloat. But in multifamily, it was really tough. Um, and so in my mind, I wanted to have the denominator in my CRM, meaning I wanted to have every asset that could ever be known. So I, I exported to an Excel spreadsheet. I looked up contact information from everybody for everybody. This took months and months and months to do, right? So I was paying people left and right to come up with all this information. I imported into a CRM. I uh, added all the people who, who, who own them, including pictures of them, phone numbers, email addresses, articles about them, social media, you know, hobbies, background pictures. Like I wanted to know everything. So one of my biggest hurdles was, was just kind of overload of information before I did anything, right? But I wanted to make a lasting impression on every phone call. And so once I had that database in there, I could speak super intelligently about all the assets and be able to provide the kind of value that the people I was talking to had never seen before because no one ever took the time. Most folks take the easy route and they look at CoStar or Reese which is wrong like 35% of the time. I mean, it's just it's just not the greatest information to rely on. That makes sense. No, so you took, you took time on the front end to really get very deliberate about how you were going to reach out to people and, and learn about your market, like your, your avatar, as they, as they say. Yeah, and I used the, you know, I, I knew that all brokers, because I was one of them, would always call owners and want, and, and you know, the pitch was, Hey, my name is Bo Beery. I'm with so-and-so. You have a great property. Do you want to sell? Right? Like, do you want to sell? Do you want to sell? Do you... Like, that's where the bad name comes from is just always wanting to sell. 
I wanted to flip the script. I knew that every investor on this call, they want to buy assets, right? And so that first year I spent calling all 998 owners that own all 1,967 assets in the Northern half of Florida. And I asked them, what do you want to buy? And, and you know, the conversation was totally different. Like no, none of them had ever been asked that. Like, when did you ever get a call from a broker? Hey, my name's Bo Beery. I see you just bought XYZ apartments over in Jacksonville. You interested in buying more? I'd love to take some notes on your criteria, right? So for, for you know, from starting then to now, anybody who knew, who is new, who enters my market, that's my pitch is I want to know what you want to buy. And I, and I take that criteria and I put it in my CRM system so that when I get listings, from sellers who don't want it all over all the websites and email blasted 10,000 people, I can take my list of all the buyers and their criteria and do a search and take tens of thousands of buyers and narrow them down to the exact 63 buyers that want this asset down to the brick. That's awesome. That's, that's great advice. And, and again, that, that, that evolves over a period of time. And I think that's important to, yeah. kinda, to, to delineate for sure. Awesome. So as you look to scale your business, what were some of the challenges you faced? Because uh, again, as you're starting, you're starting to get, get some success. You're, you're, you're starting to do a ton of deals. And now you've gotten to a point where you're scaling your business. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that thought process and what, what, you, what challenges you faced? Yeah. So I think, um, I think as a broker, and if you're an investor on this phone call, what you have to think about is what you want out of this business, right? So um, when, I was, when I was a generalist doing all the commercial real estate transactions at 82 deals a year, I was pulling my hair out and I made a bunch of money, but I had no life, right? And I had, I had a big team. I had lots of people under me. Um, we, were, we were pretty robust. I learned after doing that for years and years, that's not the life I wanted. I, I, I didn't like having you know, people you know, sort of to have to manage. I didn't like having to do that many deals. You know, I would do things that had a, a $1,000 commission up to things that had a $300,000 commission, right? It was just ridiculous. And so what I learned was, is I, Bo Beery, I'm fine for the rest of my life just being Bo, having one assistant, farming out other things to third parties, only doing a set number of transactions per year. I've learned that I can only handle between 12 and 15 deals a year. Like that's my max, Right. If it goes above that, I start to lose my quality of life. I start to lose hobbies, time with my family. Um, and so if that's the most important thing to me is to only work a certain number of hours a week and have a life. And by the way, we're all doing this business so that we can have a better life. We, all, we always we lose sight of that. Then, then you work backwards from there. So if I can only do 12 to 15 deals a year and I want to make X dollars per year, right? then that translates into a fee per deal. And that means I need to concentrate on this kind of deal, right? So for you as an investor, if you want to replace your income and you want to make $200,000 a year in residual income, right? And you have X number of dollars in your pocket, that's going to back into the kind of the, the purchase price of an asset that you can buy or, or in the kind of market you can buy, right? So that's how I, that's how I sort of, you know, leveled up and, and became more efficient and, and uh, in my business. So really getting greater margin in your life. You really sat down and thought about it and you're like, okay, where exactly do I want to be and why do I want to be there? And then yeah. you took the time to be able to think about that. So that's awesome. And I think that changes over time. Like, I mean, yeah. I was perfectly fine from as a 20 year old to 30 year old 
working 80, 90 hours a week. And I, and I think that's okay, actually. I, I mean, I think you, you need to build your name. And, and as an investor on this phone call, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to grind like we all did. Right. Nobody got it easy. Everyone had to grind. It's just that there's a point in your life when you start, whether it's having a family or you start having a hobby or you start just, you, you know, the, the hours start grinding on you. You kind of have to change and morph and find out what you want. That's awesome. Great advice. So we touched a little bit on, you know, the brokerage end uh, for those who guys who are in the brokerage business, but let's touch on now in the investor side. So one thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, what are some of the mistakes that you see people make as they're starting to get into the business and they want to invest in some of these large-scale multifamily assets? Yeah, <laughs> boy, there's lots of them. Mm -hmm. um, I would say the the biggest mistake is is you know going out of the loan. I mean, if if you've watched any of my videos, some of the some of the the best advice I can give new folks in this business is, you cannot be competitive if you aren't hooked up with a mentor. And, and let me explain that. So every deal these days has multiple offers, even when it's when you think it's off market and some broker brought you a deal or you're talking to a seller, if they're entertaining offers from you or they're asking you for offers, I promise you they're talking to other folks. So my, my point is you're always in competition. And so when, when you get 10 offers, when a broker gets 10 offers, okay, and they're presenting to the seller, about eight or nine of those offers are going to be from folks who have equity, who own units, who have the debt relationships, who are probably even known to the broker and to the seller. And so if all of you on this call can put your seller hat on and I'm your broker, right? The first thing we're doing is, is we're choosing the best offers that have the best price and terms, right? And most folks these days are pretty damn close to each other. Out of 10 offers, you're going to have probably six or seven offers that are acceptable to you, right? And then my job as the broker is to go back and get those offers up even more. But then the second thing that you're doing is, is you're trying to choose who among those great offers that you'll accept is going to show up to closing. And what makes up that decision is experience, number of units you own, how many transactions you've done, uh, experience maybe with the, even with your listing broker, Maybe you've done, you know, maybe you have relationships with other lenders that we could talk to and verify how good you are. But if you have none of that, you have no chance. And I'm sorry to say that it's the, it's the truth. It's just, it's just common sense. It's the way the human brain works, the way the seller would be thinking. But if you're hooked up with someone who has that experience, who has an own, who owns units, then when you're approaching brokers and you're turning in offers, you can turn in an offer that collectively says, collectively, we own three assets in the market. And collectively, we've been in the business for 22 years. And collectively, we've done two deals with Bo and with this broker and with this broker and with this lender that you can talk to. That's, that's what gives you the chance. And, and does that mean you have to give up a majority of, of equity, even if you found it when you bring it to these mentors? Yes, right? But that's, that's the university you have to go through in order to to get street cred, if you will. But once you got the street cred, you know, you can certainly break off and start doing your own deals. But, um, but you gotta, you know, you just gotta think like you have the seller hat on or the broker hat on who controls the inventory. And that's what makes you sexy. We want to know, we want the highest probability to close. Even if we're taking less money, I've done, a, I've done at least three deals this year that I can think of in which we chose a buyer who had a lesser offer because they were a closer. 
and they they built that reputation over a period of time is, is what right. you're saying that's awesome the, yeah the, the cool thing is there's a couple of cool things here is most folks die off after a couple of years this is hard work guys i mean be, you know underwriting deals and not getting accepted over and over and over again totally normal the good thing is it's hard and people die off after a couple of years the great thing is every year that you stick to this and grow the easier it gets as long as you're building a good reputation in the market like the more years that go by the more sexy you become to brokers to sellers and it's and then and then you all of a sudden you're getting the phone calls from brokers and you're getting the calls from sellers and you're getting referrals on deals both on and off market and it becomes easier it's still a lot of work but it's easier that's awesome so that actually leads us to our next question which was related to to building the pipeline of deals because again you know you could go to costar you can go to crexy you can go to some of these other platforms but in reality the, the vast majority of the good deals out there are not being transacted on, on these types of platforms. A lot of times it's just Actually phone none. call. Yeah, that's what, yeah. You, you even said, I think in one of your videos, like 90 or 95% of the deals are transacted off market, which would make sense because again, if you have a property that, that you've owned for quite some time, you don't want to blast it out to 10,000 people and have a bunch of tire kickers come down the, down the road and just not really be serious about it. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about what that process looks like as far as developing that pipeline? of deals and yeah. maybe building relationships. Yeah. And just defining on and off market, there's, there's a whole bunch of different de definitions, right? Most folks believe off market just means it's not on a bunch of websites. Mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you that absolutely no apartment complexes get sold on a website. The only reason you see apartment complexes are on websites are because of one of two reasons. Number one, it's because it might be a REIT or a national and they just have to show their hundreds and thousands of investors that this thing is being publicly marketed. Or number two, it is an uneducated seller who doesn't really do multifamily. They just happen to own a complex. Maybe they inherited it. Maybe they did buy it. They don't transact often in multifamily. They believe that apartment complexes get sold like houses do. Now, all houses get sold online. Apartment complexes don't get sold online. It just doesn't happen. I've never sold something on LoopNet or CoStar or any of these, 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 these deals. It goes on the website just to satisfy an uneducated seller. That, so just so that he can see it out there, right? The deals happen between, you know, emails, phone calls, and so forth, right? Um, and so how you build a pipeline is it's, it's primarily broker-driven, right? So if, if you, again, if you're putting your seller hat on and you own, let's say, a 100-unit, $10 million asset, why on God's green earth would you entertain a call from some random human being off the streets that says, hey, we're an investment firm out of New York. We want to buy your asset. Would you sell it to us? When you can call any broker and get 15 offers in two weeks, right? And bid up the price or hire a broker and, and just, just through phone calls, get lots of offers and sell it, right? So the whole point of my book when I wrote it is to, is to, is to show you kind of the inside world of how this stuff actually happens which is through brokers. And it's not because brokers are amazing. It's because if you're a seller, of course you want the highest price, right? And you're going to hire the brokers who are regularly talking to investors. Brokers know buyers' pain points, how their equity is made up, what price they can pay, how often they trade it, um, where their debt comes from. Like we understand how to get prices up based on the type of buyers they are. So the whole, your whole world needs to be, not your whole world, the vast majority of your procurement 
your time is best spent building broker relationships. So I, I talk about it like this. If you've seen some of my videos, if I had if I had buyer A who spent most of his time trying to send letters to sellers, calling them directly and whatever, will they do deals? Yeah, you're going to find some folks every now and then. And as a matter of fact, if you did a deal like that and you got the widow to sell you her 25 unit complex because she doesn't want to manage it anymore and you got it for 10% less than market, great. Will your profitability be higher than someone who buys from brokers? Yes. But I can tell you buyer B who does nothing but month after month, year after year over a 10 and 20 year period, building broker relationships and reputation with them they're doing so many more deals than you and have such a higher net worth than you. It's not even funny. That's who I wrote about in the book. And is their profit per asset maybe less than the off-market guy who bought from the widow? Maybe so, but that doesn't mean shit, right? In this business, it's all about how big and bad you are. The bigger and better your reputation and the more deals you do, the more deals are going to be brought to you, Right. Because the brokers want to have frequency of transactions. They want to do deals with folks who are buying and selling all the time, or at least are buying all the time, right? So as, as an efficiency manner, if you spend all your time broken, doing, doing deals with, with brokers or, or, or relying on them, you will do far more deals and have more deals easily brought to you rather than grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding and try to convince that one person to sell you something directly to you. Oh, that's a great, great advice, really. And, and again, it's, it's making it easy for people to do business with you, I'd imagine, is what you're referencing, too. I mean, and also, like you mentioned, I think part of it, too, is just not trying to squeeze everything out of a transaction in order to get, you know, everything you possibly can. Because, you know, I think I saw one of your videos a while ago that referenced a deal fell apart over like a point something percent in IRR oh, over man. a period of like five years. It's like, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? And what is that? How does that affect your reputation if that deal falls apart because of the fact you're not willing to give up on a small portion of your returns over a five year period? So you, you always got to constantly think about that. Yeah, I tell you, I, it's it, you talk about what, what are some of the um, what are some of the, the numbskull things that you see on a regular basis that either kill deals or kill your reputation? You, you know, retrading is something that, that happens, but, but, it, but, but, you know, when you submit offers for lower than you know you can pay, that's the other deal killer. So what I talk about is, you know, when you're underwriting something, I always try to teach making decisions based on your IRR and cash on cash. Right. So when you're submitting an offer or when you're already under contract and something terrible comes up during the due diligence, whatever that dollar amount is, okay, think before retrading or think before submitting your offer. Is that amount really going to make any difference at all in your IRR? So, for instance, let's talk about if you're submitting a contract. If you're submitting a contract and, and you know you can pay $10.5 million but you're trying to find out that number from the broker that just gets you the deal. And you think that what the broker's alluding to you is 9.9, .9, and you think that that's probably gonna win you the deal. You're not sure, but that's probably gonna win you the deal. But you can pay 10.5, okay? And that $600,000 difference 
if, it, if the 10.5 makes your IRR work, I'm telling you, pay the 10.5. Because if you play the game and you only do 9.9 or 10.2 and you end up losing the deal, right? That $600,000 didn't mean shit in five or 10 years when you sell it for a $4 million profit. Right. So the $600,000 deal, now the $600,000, and I'm using a, a pretty huge yeah. delta, right? Like $600,000 sure, yeah. is a big delta. Mm -hmm. And that might, that actually might mean two or 3% on your IRR, which may be significant. But if the IRR at 10.5 or the I, or the cash on cash at 10.5 works, it's just not as sexy as 9.9 or 10.2, do the deal. Because you don't get jack if you don't do the deal. The other guy gets to make jack. Yeah. The opportunity That's cost the is what you're, it's opportunity cost is what you're it's referencing. Huge. I, I had a, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a broker and uh, well, agent in, in Louisville. And I, I was on a shopping center deal with one of my clients and it was a $2.6 million deal. And we were arguing over $10,000, $10,000 on a 2.7, oh, 2.6 something change million dollar deal. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, de this deal is about to fall apart over 10 grand when you're talking about that scope of, of, of transactions. So you're right. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest hurdles people have to face is that, you know, don't try to eke every penny out of the transaction because I mean, it doesn't do anyone any favors. So it really doesn't. And it's, you know, this is an, this is a, an asset accumulation game. The more deals you can buy and own, and in my opinion, hold long-term, the better. It just makes you bigger and stronger and everyone wants to do business with that person. But if you just keep, if you keep messing up deals because it wasn't like this absolute home run, you're going to lose. The elite investors I talk about in my book, all they do is hit base hits. Base hit, base hit, base hit. They just hit base hits over and over again. Every now and then they get a home run, right? But those base hits are what make you super rich. That's awesome. Great advice. So one of the last questions I have before we'll open up to Q&A is related to, you know, the developing a relationship piece. So could you kind of share additional insights? Because I'm sure you get a ton of calls from people. You know, they're like, hey, like, keep me in mind if you have, you know, yep. 100 unit apartment complex, C class, you know, I mean, we get that. And I'm, I don't really do a ton of multifamily personally. I mean, I've been more in the retail side and, and we've done some industrial as well. But but again, we get those calls at our brokerage. So it's like, yeah. how does how do you, I guess, really develop those relationships? If you could elaborate, that'd be great. Yeah. Two things. Number one, you have to automate the process, which I'll come back to in a second. And number two, you have to add value. And what I mean by add value is you're right. As brokers, I am not kidding you to the hundred people that are on this phone call. 99% of the calls that Raphael and I get are, Hey, Bo, what do you got for me? You got something? What, what, what can I make an offer on? What, what do you, what, what can I turn You know, do you have anything for me? I can take a look at. Right. And that's it. And then the, you know, the next phone call, Hey, what do you got for me? Hey, what do you got for me? Right. And so we're getting that like tons of time of a week, hundreds of times a week, actually, through emails, phone calls, social media, like that's, it's all the time. It just becomes white noise, right? But the person who, who sends me a, an interesting article, who tells me about a closing that maybe his friend did yesterday that hasn't even hit the public records yet, that's a great market data point for me, that tells me about an amenity they put on their complex that just drove up rents $10 a month. Um, that tells me about an efficiency that he figured out at his asset that's saving him, you know, a thousand dollars a month, Wh whatever, like give us value add, like 
If you can add value to brokers, those are the people I think about. And by the way, and then at the end say, hey, anything I can take and put an offer in on. That's fine with me. Like that's all good. But if it's just ask, 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 everybody's doing that. If you want to stand out, add value in some way, right? We're always trying to add value to you, right? So that you notice us and so that we're different from others and so that you'll do business with us. We just never get in return. And so if you're the person who does that in return, you look so unique and different. I promise you those relationships will develop. Going back to number one, which is automating this. If you think about it, in any of the markets you cover, and I'll use mine as an example, I cover the northern half of Florida. I have calculated there are roughly 60 multifamily brokers, right? And if you go by the 80-20 rule, the 20% of us, or 12, are doing the vast majority of the deals. The other 48 guys, they'll do office, retail, industrial, and they'll do two or three multifamily deals, right? And so if there's 60 multifamily brokers who could bring you a deal over the course of a year or five years or 10 years, you want to be, you want to be speaking to all of them. But there's no way you could possibly remember all 60 guys, remember to call them on a regular basis. And so I teach automating this stuff, right? So you need to buy a CRM, not Outlook, not some Excel spreadsheet that's like super old school by an actual CRM, a customer relationship management software, where you can add, you know, you can add contacts and information and you can track events and you can take notes and all that stuff. You want to add all the brokers in your market, get pictures of them, phone numbers, email addresses, their websites, information about them, whatever you can. And you want to schedule to call each of them every 45 to 60 days, right? And that comes out to about three or four a day. So three or four a day, you're going to call them up. You're going to add some value to them. Sometimes it's just an email, but initially it's a phone call. And you, know, you, may, uh, you may, on the first phone call, you're introducing yourself, giving a little bit about your background, telling them your criteria, add some value to them. You know, before the phone call, you've researched them, add some value to them, right? And then you're going to schedule in your CRMs. Literally, you're going to type it in there, so the notes from your conversation, the next phone call, you're going to go ahead and schedule it. So what happens is all 60 of these guys are just constantly rotating through your CRM. And as time goes on, you're learning more about each other personally, right? Like you, you're connecting them on Facebook eventually. You're connected to them on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And you start to see what they do on the weekend and what their hobbies are. And, and then in subsequent phone calls, you're referencing some of that stuff. You're still talking about business, but you And so you can see how... The guys I talk about in this book that I've been tracking for 20 years, you can see how when they do that every 30, 45 to 60 days, month after month, over the course of five and 10 years, you can imagine how those brokers, who they're thinking about when they get that first phone call from a seller that says, hey, Bo, my partners and I are thinking about selling. We'd love to get a BOV from you. Who are they thinking about? Are they thinking about the guy who called him 72 times in a row and said, hey, what do you have for me to buy? Or are they, talking to, are they calling the guys who are saying, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? How's your family doing? How's your wife doing after getting COVID? Hey, how'd your boy do on this basketball game last weekend? You know, hey, Bo, did you go driving last weekend? That's who we're thinking about, right? It's such a, it's such a simple thing, but I'm telling you, no one does it. And Raphael can, can, can concur, it just doesn't happen. We all have our, as brokers, we have our certain small group of people that do, right? Like those, 
I will tell you in my book of business, I track this, I track everything trailing five years, trailing five years, 79% of every deal I've ever closed is from the same people over and over again. Now that list sometimes grows. It's not just like nine people. It's a lot of people. But when I look at my transactions, it's the same people 79% of the time. That's right. Amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. 80, 20 rule, you know, as you yeah, said. Yeah. Ex exactly. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. Same. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I know. That's amazing. And, and yeah, I mean, you're hundred percent right, man. Like, and I think that's just business one-on-one. I don't think it's just commercial real estate. It's really just building relationships with people, adding value over time. And then, you know, over time, people remember you become, you, you remain top of mind. I mean, that's how we do operate within the, the commercial brokerage space. We want to maintain top, top of mind with sellers. In your case, if, if you're an investor and you're wanting to transact a lot, the people who hold the, tran the, the, the key to the transactions are typically the brokers. And so, you know, 90% of the transactions are, are handled by brokers. So in your case, your target is the brokers. You need to build those relationships with them over time and really get in, in contact with them and build those relationships. So that's really great advice, really. No problem. And, you know, just to, to go on top of that, let me mm -hmm. tell you, this is kind of an inside, there's another inside look, right? So mm -hmm. when, when we as brokers get a phone call from the guy who's right, getting ready to sell, he calls me up, hey, Bo, my partners are thinking about selling, would I have a BOV from you? Okay. When I hang up from that initial phone call, I don't have a listing agreement yet. I haven't done a BOV yet. I haven't done Jack, right? But I feel pretty confident I'm probably going to get this listing. I'm already calling seven or eight groups that I've done a bunch of deals with and just giving them a heads up. Hey, got a call from so-and-so who owns XYZ apartments. I don't have the listing yet. I may not get it. I'm just giving you a heads up that probably in the next two or three weeks, assuming I get the listing, it's going to be for sale. Okay. That little thing right there allows those 10 people to already start talking to their property manager about what rents could be post-renovation. They're talking to their contractors about what renovation costs may be. They're talking to their lender about debt. They're driving by the property. They're not getting out and walking around like an idiot. They all know that, right? But they can at least drive by the property. So they're already, they're already three weeks ahead of everybody else. And it may still come on the market and there may still be, or there may still be 500 people I send a listing to, but this is why there's 15 offers in two or three weeks, because there's a number of people who got a heads up early. And that's because of relationships. That's awesome advice, really. All right. So I wanted to keep it kind of short on our, our uh predetermined pre pre questions. I'm going to go ahead and open it up to Q&A. So if you guys are in the Zoom chat, feel free to type away. Uh, if you guys are also listening to this on Facebook, feel free to uh, type in the, the message box and we will uh, get your questions answered. Um, so we have a question uh, from Kim. Hey, Kim. She said, what is a BOV? Uh, okay. Yeah. It's a broker opinion of value, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when, when someone wants to go sell, they're not quite sure if they want to sell yet or if they are sure they want to sell, they want to kind of get an estimate of what the property's worth. So they'll provide what I, all I need and most brokers need. We just need trailing 12 months of profit and loss statements and a current rent roll. That's all we need for now. And we can come up with a value later and we can come up with a value. Later on, we get three years of financials, rent rolls, CapEx, all kinds of other stuff. But it's, a BOV is just a valuation so that the sellers can make a determination whether to sell and what to put the ask price at. 
So yeah, Omar asks if it's similar to a BPO. I, I believe so. I believe it's yeah. the same. That's same a concept. broker price of opinion, yeah, that, broker opinion of value, same thing. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, I, that's the term I've heard is BPO. All right. So next up is Felipe. He asks- It's kind of funny. Is- BPOs are a almost like a single family term, more mm-hmm. used. And I see BOV more on the commercial side. Nice. All right. So uh, Felipe asks, what is the average price per door for class A, B, C in normal Northern Florida? And I know you have that graphic that you shared. So <laughs> now, great question. Let me, uh, let me pull this up here. I'll give you some stats real quick. So uh, removing Orlando and I track Orlando separately because that place is, well, it's, it's Disney world. I mean, it's just the, the mm-hmm. pricing is absolutely nuts. So I actually have to remove it. Whereas all the other markets track very, very closely. So this includes Ocala, Gainesville, Daytona, New Smyrna, Ormond, Deland, Deltona, St. Augustine, Jacksonville, Tallahassee, Lake City. I think I already said Gainesville, Ocala, all those. Those are all that covers the vast majority of North Florida. I don't track Pensacola. Um, It's a small market anyway. So for all those transactions, an A-class deal right now, trailing 12 months, an A-class deal is almost always new construction. Um, so right now, trailing 12 is 247 a door, but that's already going up. Um, I'm telling you, these last six months, every deal is 250 to 320 a door. And December's going to, December, when those December stats come out, that's already going to step that up. A B plus is a mid 2000, it's, it's like 2005 to 2015, 2016 deal. Um, those are trading at 190 a door. Um, that's got about a $1,440 a month rent. Um, a B class deal is, uh, is mostly a mid eighties deal, which means there could be some early eighties. There could be some stuff into the 1990s, but the average is 1986. Uh, those are trading for 145 to 150 a door, sometimes less, sometimes more. Average rents are $12.25 a month. A B minus is trading at $110 a door. A C plus is trading at $98 a door. A C is trading at $75 a door. And a C minus is basically a horrible, horrible area um, that is trading at about $45 a door. There's been very few of those to trade though. Now, when I give you those numbers, they can swing 10, 15 grand in each direction, depending on the classification. For instance, to go from B minus to B and B to B plus, there's usually about a $40,000 a unit swing that things could go. So that could be 20 on each side. But I'm just giving you the pinpoint average in the middle. Awesome, great share. So I hope that answered your question. Uh, Joe asks, Hey, Joe. Okay. He said, can you speak to how much easier it was to create relationships once you switch from smaller deals to larger deals? I currently do about 50 to 65 deals a year and feel it's difficult to maintain relationships and create value with that many transactions. Like you, it's one reason I'm switching to multifamily. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if you're, it sounds like you're probably doing several different asset classes and you're probably doing leasing and you're probably doing sales and those are very one-off transactions, right? I mean, especially when you're doing leasing side stuff, you never really get to know the business owner that you put in there. That landlord may only own that one building or, or, or a couple of them. And so it's, it's, tough to, it's, to, it's tough to develop long-term relationships in those kinds of transactions. 
on the multifamily side, it's super easy because no matter what market you cover, um, there are very few people who own all those assets. I told you there are literally only 998 people that own every single deal over 10 units, market rate, student housing, and affordable combined in the entire Northern Apple, Florida. That's it. You can get to know 998 people fairly easily. The reality is that you only do business with a certain percentage. So I have what I call a rank A customer. A rank A customer is kind of like the 79% of people I do transactions with. But the rank A people for me is about 145, 146 people. So it's like that comes out to like, uh, I don't know, maybe seven or 8% of, of all investors. Those rank A people who I concentrate most of my time with, right? So in, in relationship building, those are the ones I'm making my phone calls to every 30 to 60 days. Rank B in that scenario is about 500 people. And I could make contact with them once a quarter. And then my rank C people, which are all the rest, and I even talk about this in the book, I think investors should break down brokers to ABC. My rank C people, I contact one or tw once or twice a year. But all my A, B, and C customers are on a drip marketing program. So they're hearing from me every month, either by an email, a phone call, a, a mailing, a social media, something like that. Because I could do a deal with C's, it's happened. And, and I do do deals with B's, but most of my stuff is with A's. And so whether you are a generalist, it sounds like, or you're going into a concentration, you have to, within a couple of years, you will determine who the people are you're doing most of your stuff with. And then you just need to get inside and develop relationships with them. Don't worry about everybody else. All the one-offs, it doesn't make sense to concentrate your time there if you ever get a coach, the coach will tell you, find out who your A's are and live in that space. Great advice. That's awesome. All right. Denise asks, what are the different classes you talk about? So A, B, A class, B class, C class, if you can provide yeah. a quick clarification. Yeah. So, um, you know, most folks classify assets as A, B, or C. However, um, in multi, I think not just in multifamily, but in any asset class, I believe it, that's too broad to just do ABC. So I've gone further and created a B plus B, B minus C plus C, C minus. And I do that because I want to, I, 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 I like to assign how good or nice or how good a location a property is. That's how, that's investor speak. Investors want to know, you know, just kind of, in, in general, in a very quick conversation, hey, Bo, like what class is this? Is this like a B class? Is it a B plus? You know, is this in a good neighborhood? Is it a C? You know, so, so you want to you be able to kind of answer that question. And of course, me being, you know, a stats nerd, I, I assign qualifications. So uh, whether, what the class is determined by is age, right? Age is a big factor. What it's sold for, poor door. What the rents are. Uh, the location, um, and, and I look at uh, the amenities and the quality of, of the interiors and exteriors, right? So as soon as, so I'll give you a, for instance, when a deal closes, I find it on the property appraisal website or my staff does, we, we make sure the deal is correct. So if, if, we don't, if we don't think the deal was arm's length, we may call the broker, the buyer, the seller, we want to verify that sale. Then what we do is based on what the age is and so forth, we'll kind of get and get a guess of whether it's in a B plus or a B minus. 
Then I go to the property website and I look at the pictures and I look at how old the kitchens are, the bathrooms, the flooring, what do the amenities look like? How old do the roofs look like? Um, and so then with all that combined, I assign that kind of a classification. And that allows me now to, to sort of track in a macro sense what B pluses are going for and what Bs are going for. The power of doing it that way is I now know, and I've, I've taught this to others, that the number one asset you can buy is a B minus or a B. Because if you buy something at a B minus and take it to a B or buy a B and take it to a B plus, there are $40,000 a unit jumps. Whereas going from a C minus to a C, C to a C plus, C plus to a B minus, it's about 20, it's between 15 and 20,000 a unit, which is still fine. Like if you buy a C plus and take it to a B minus, it means that if it's a $20,000 unit jump and you can buy it and add six or $7,000 unit in renovations, you still got a 12 or $13,000 unit Delta. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, but I would never know, I would never would have known there's that kind of Delta. Now it doesn't mean, and I'm not advising this because B class transactions are far less than C. C represents 44% of all transactions. You don't wanna just concentrating on, on trying to find a B minus or a B Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to have a, a, a very short investment career. There's just not enough of those transactions happen. All I'm saying is if you come across those, they're fantastic, but be open to all of them. Awesome. Great advice. All right. So Ty has a question. He said, how do you build capital to start? So I'm assuming this is newer to the, the business. Uh, also, did you learn the most with on-the-job training or did you do a lot of research on the right moves to make starting out? Um, again, that goes back to mentorship, man. I mean, I just, you know, I had, um, I had a great mentor when I was doing the generalist work. He was a phenomenal teacher. I was right under his wing, you know, second hand, second, second in command, right hand man, whatever you want to say. And, uh, and just learning, learning that way. I, I think if you go it alone, it's just like, first, for, 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 there's just no reason for it, right? There's so many groups like yours, Raphael, that, that teach and do such a great job that you, you should be able to find a mentor. And that mentor, going on to your second question, will help you on the capital side of things, right? You know, I'm, I'm not a financial planner. I can't advise you on how you save up capital. I mean, that, that goes into, you know, into how you live your life and how much money you make as your day job and, and all that stuff. If what you mean is how do you get debt, how do you find debt sources, um, it's the same thing. First of all, you have to have your personal life in order and your financials in order and look good. But secondly, lenders will tell you, you have to be someone, the, first, the number one thing they look for is being coachable, being someone who listens to their guidance. I just did a video about three weeks ago with Gil Dolan, who's with Greystone. Greystone's one of the number one Fannie and Freddie lenders in the country. And, and, and I asked him, you know, what is the number one thing you look for when talking to investors and new investors as well? And he said, number one is, is being coachable. Like, like someone who, who is going to listen to him, who's going to listen and, and understand how markets work, not just try to ram down his throat, hey, I want this rate, this amortization period in this term, and that ain't going to work, right? Um, obviously, being liquid and having good financials in order is going to be important, and we're not going to solve on this phone call how you do that. That's a whole separate person that can do that for you. Great advice. All right, so we had two questions that are pretty similar. So I'm going to go ahead and merge them together for the sake of time. So Tracy 
uh, asks regarding uh, what what type of va- how can you add value to brokers and build a good long term relationship? Kind of lends on the the, the pa- previous question I asked you. And what does that first phone call look like? Henry was asking. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome question. So if you're a newbie and making those first phone calls, before you make those phone calls, I would team up with a mentor because you don't want to call Bo or some other broker and say, hey. My name is John Daly. Um, I am new to the business. I've never done a deal. I'm just getting into investing. Um, I, I see that you're a great broker. You put out good material. Um, you know, would love to get on your list. Like, you know, that's, that's one of the worst things you can say because there are so many more people ahead of you that I would, you know, that, that, that I would rather do business with and bring to sellers than someone who's totally new, Right. But if you're calling up and saying, hey, my name is John Daly. I work you know, with such and such. We have XYZ LLC. We own three assets that are 800 units. Uh, and, and we're looking to pick up more assets in the Jacksonville market. Just want to introduce myself, tell you about my criteria. Um, by the way, I researched you. Man, you do a lot of transactions. I see your content. You know, so it's like, you know, give compliments, right? Tell them how you found them. Tell them how you heard about them. Maybe someone referred, hey, by the way, Steve Smith told me I need to call you. You're the man up in Jacksonville. You're the man up in Tallahassee, whatever it is. My name is this. I'm hooked up with this. We have this company. We have these number of units together. Here's what we're looking for. And try to give them some value at the end. Hey, by the way, before I called you, I want to let you know, I'm not sure if you know this, but so-and-so just closed over in Jacksonville. I know you cover that market. Um, some, could be any, could be anything, right? Like that's the first phone call, just an introduction, give them some, give them, give them some background on who you are, what you own. Okay. You and your partners together, tell them what your criteria is, follow up with an email with your contact information and go ahead and put that broker on your reoccurring list in your CRM. Great advice. That's awesome. Don't, don't, don't dump all, by the way, I, I strongly urge, and this is it's, all this stuff is, by the way, all this stuff is step-by-step in my book. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't make a bunch yeah. of money in my book, you know, you mm-hmm. buying the book. So don't, don't think I'm trying to sell, sell, sell the book, but in the book, I actually give you guidance on do on the work you need to do before you make the phone call, which is I would research the brokers, find their social media profiles, find out what their hobbies are, you know, who they're married to, you know, what they do on the weekends, uh, articles they've written in the, in the trade, deals they've done so that you can have kind of an idea of who this person is. Like you have an idea of how old they are and where they transact and what they do for fun. And you don't, you don't mind dump that stuff in the first phone call. You look like a freak, right? All you're doing is introducing yourself and, and how you're made up and what you own and what your criteria is, right? In subsequent conversations, you know, you're, you're dropping a little bit of stuff here and there maybe, right? Or, or another, what I, what I do is when I call investors for the first time, I, I do the same exact stuff. I research them to the point where if they knew what I knew about them, they would be freaked out. But it's all public record stuff, right? When I'm calling someone for the first time, I may say something like, hey, John, Bo Beery here. I'm with Multifamily Advisors out of Gainesville. I see you just bought X, XYZ Apartments. Um, are you looking to buy any more assets? And of course, they'll say, well, yeah, what do you got? Well, let me tell you that. But, but before, I, before I tell you that, let me tell you how I, how I found you was when I was looking up your contact information, I found you on LinkedIn. I saw you and I know Kim Cook together. Let me tell you a story about how I know Kim from college, right? So that, this, that's just an, an easy little, quick little in. And LinkedIn's great because you have mutual connections. 
Or I could have said, hey, when I was trying to find your phone number, I found you on Facebook. I saw your, your background cover page was, was of a Porsche 911. I'm a huge fan of Porsche 911s. Just a little something, something, right? You can drop one of those in on the first phone call. But in subsequent calls, you'll just kind of get to know each other. And as you're getting to know each other, you're taking these notes, right? You're taking these notes. Great advice. Awesome. All right. So uh, we, for the sake of time, we, we have two more questions we'll, we'll get through um, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. So one thing uh, was um, John Daly asks, uh, what's some of the best, yeah. What's some, what are some of the best uh, uh, information, news, et cetera, that you follow on a regular basis? And I would also highly encourage you guys to follow Bo because he does compile a lot of this information and present it in a very, very readable format. But along with your content, how, how can people follow along or what information do you use? Um, where, I mean, where I get my information from, you're not going to want to do on this phone call. I have yeah. folks who are dedicated to data mining like daily, like all these, all these closings, all these. If you follow me and you see all the different stuff I put out, I try to put out things that you can read in 10 seconds, number one. But all that stuff comes from. Um, you know, data mining, all these closings and all the owners and just doing all kinds of mark reports and crunches. That's how I do my information for you. As far as finding information that you can use to add value to brokers, it's connecting to NMHC national multifamily housing council. Um, you don't even have to, you don't have to pay to be a member. They put out information, national partner association puts out information, I follow, you know, every multifamily group you can think of on LinkedIn and Facebook. And there's, you know, people are always posting good pieces of information. Um, I track, um, obviously I track all the closings on a regular basis. Uh, there are, I track all of the syndications. Like there's a lot of syndications that I sign up for their newsletters who put out good information, right? And so I'm just always kind of sifting through things like that. But the core of what I do is from, you know, self, um, you know, self-sourced information from closing data and, and, and research on owners. But all of you are connected to so many things on social media. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the multifamily business, you're getting emails from so many different sources. There will be things, there will be articles that you can, that you can find that are, that are, that are interesting pieces of information that you can use as conversation starters and emails. Like I do a lot of emailing. All, of, all the calls, all these things, all these touches, the brokers, they don't have to be phone calls. It can be call, call, email, 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 call, call, email, call, whatever. I mean, you can have a cadence there if you want. Um, you don't have to call every 30 to 45 days. Just add values here and there. Great advice. All right. So last question. Um, so what is the title of your book and where can people get a copy? So I, I read your book. It's phenomenal. I would highly, highly, highly encourage you guys to read it. Uh, do you Thank want, you. do you, I think you had a, do yeah. you want to show it? Yeah. So here's, here's what it looks like. It's called multifamily investors who dominate and it's on Amazon in hardcover. Um, it's on audible and it's on Kindle. Um, audible obviously is like the cheapest version. Um, I love audible because that's how my brain receives it. So however, however it is you receive the message the best. Um, I read it on Audible and, you know, and I'm loud and, and, and wild sometimes in my inflections. What I like about it is I will inflect things that are important and you'll, you'll, you'll hear, you can hear things that are really important in the book that you yourself may not read correctly in the hardcover. So you could get both. 
But the hardcover does have some charts in there, has a couple of things in that might be useful. Um, and so anyway, all three versions are, are available. And, and uh, I think it's a, to me, it is, there's no other book like it. Every other book that's out there teaches you how to, how to manage better, how to find financing, how to raise equity, how to do number crunching and all that stuff. None of that junk matters if you can't get deals to come to you. you it, it, it teaches reputation and it teaches how to network with the brokers, step-by-step um, -step stuff. And it's, and it's all, this is all behind the scenes stuff that nobody ever teaches. That's awesome. Great advice. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for your time, Bo. We really do appreciate all the insights you provided with the group. And, and again, I, I'm sure I don't speak just for myself. I speak for everyone that's really been on this call. If people want to learn more about you, you know, follow you on, on different social platforms, how can they do that? Yeah. Um, so whether you buy in Florida or not, you should visit my website, bobeery.com. And my name is right on there, spelled like that on my little, on my little uh, thumbnail. So the reason you want to go there, whether you invest in Florida or not, is on my landing page, you know, you can scroll. I have several cool stats on there. Uh, but at the very top is a resources button. And the resources has popular resources. So I may have letter of intent templates. I may have cover page templates. I have Sometimes I have spreadsheets that you can use that are really, really simple spreadsheets. Um, but then also I have a list and I have all the polls I've done on LinkedIn in the last couple of months. Um, I have Q and A's that you can look at, but I also show all the markets I cover. And the reason you wanna click on the markets, whether you buy in them or not, is when you click on a market, you'll see all the stats for those markets that I track. You need to master those stats for your markets. And if you can do that, you'll be a killer. Second way is my YouTube channel. It's called Bo Knows Multifamily, B-E-A-U, Bo Knows Multifamily. I have a playlist on there for beginners. I have a playlist for advanced level guys. I have how to do market analysis. Um, I have funny stuff on there. Sometimes I put new listings on there before I even talk to anybody, even my best customers, like for fun, every now and then I'll stick a new listing on there, right? And it's a full walkthrough video. Um, and of course, the third way is if you get the book, that'll be that also plug you into some other stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm on all the social media. You'll find me on there, either Bo Beery or Bo Knows Multifamily or, or both sometimes. So follow me on there and you'll get some good stuff. I post something once a day that's like a meaty, meaty market stat that you can read in 10 seconds. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and we'll, if you, this, this is recorded as well, and we were, we're going to be publishing this in a YouTube format and also a podcast format. So if you guys are listening to this in a podcast format or YouTube, it'll be in the description below. So you can access all that information there. So again, bro, thank you so much for your time. It, we thank really you, do man. appreciate it. Thank you all for who tuned in via zoom, Facebook. If you guys are listening to some podcast or YouTube, it, it, it's really amazing. The, the, the growth of this group over the last year, keep coming back, keep engaging, and we're going to keep providing with great, great content. So thanks again for tuning in guys. And we'll see y'all next time. See you guys.